Welcome to the Embellish Podcast, where we like to talk about stories. We like to explore how embellishment makes a story better, how it allows us to connect more deeply with both the person telling the story and the subject of the story. Together, we will explore people, products, and places that have a story to tell. We'll navigate through the truths, half-truths, and outright lies and decide if the truthiness even matters. All right, we're going to start that over again because I absolutely had muted my microphone and didn't know that. So thanks for joining us. Um, if you are uh, here, uh, don't see anybody on chat yet, but you know, if you're watching this on the recast, absolutely appreciate it. Um, I've been back and forth over what to call these episodes that are non-centrally focused. A lot of mine have a central focus, whether it be on you know foundations of distilling or on uh, particular things that distillers do. Uh, gimmicky aging or, or whatever it is. And so I've decided, I think I'm going to start calling these small batch sessions. And they're, you know, a, a grouping of things that I've kind of tossed together in my head. We're going to talk about them, you know, they're hot takes or whatever you want to call it. Um, but, and that's going to link into tonight because we actually are going to talk about small batch whiskey. But before that, we'll talk about the last week. Last weekend, I had a couple of weird opportunities to hang out with some folks over the, um, you know, like, People that you've you've interacted with over the course of your life uh, had a chance to visit a friend who was having a housewarming party, and had some um, people from like middle from elementary school to middle school to high school to college to my first and my you know one of my first jobs to my most recent job. Real weird to have all of those people in the same place, and you're not the central reason why they're there. Um, but it was really good. And then over the weekend, uh, our local university that I went to had homecoming, so I got to see some friends from college and whatnot. And then last night I got to run a tasting for um, some coworkers. Uh, my my boss has decided that potentially in the spring I'm going to be doing a tasting for a hundred um, fellow coworkers, and I'm trying to test out a few ideas. And so last night was like an educational tasting and got a chance to do that. Um, and non personally related stuff, um, something that you might be interested in, and I'll absolutely include a link. I think it's already in the description of this particular episode. Um, Repeal Day uh, Expo's coming up. That's something that Fred Minnick hosts. I attended it last year. It's virtual. Uh, it's relatively inexpensive. I think it's like 25 bucks for a regular ticket and 50 for VIPs. Um, there's a handful of folks that I'm really, really interested in seeing. Obviously, everybody that is a part of that will be uh, super fun. Like I said, it is virtual. They use this thing called Deggy World. And as long as you have a moderately decent computer, you'll have an opportunity to get in and interact with folks and have some conversations that you might not be able to have otherwise. Um, I know ADHD Whiskey is slated to be there, and if you're here and you get bored with this, absolutely hop over to his live stream. He's doing his uh, UFC flight night uh, for, I think, the the lightweights. Uh, he, last week's uh, live stream he did was actually had one of the whiskeys that I had sent over to him, which ended up coming in second place, and um, it's from my friends over at uh, Bourbon Junkies. It was actually Dan's Bullet Pick. Um, and then tying that in, I'm actually trying out their starlight, uh, that they did in cognac tonight. Just something, uh, new just came in this week. Um, so far so good. It's, it's fantastic. But also at repeal day expo will be a hood sommelier, which is Jack Bigadoo from Instagram. Um, he's a wealth of knowledge and a fantastic friend. And then Marion Eves, which is one that I'm super uh, excited about being able to, to see her, you know, give a, give a speech or, or do something along with. 
I'm going back to uh, Hood Hood Sommelier. Uh, Jack is hosting a Afrofusion event with Heaven Hill in Louisville on November the 12th. Absolutely be there, but I already have plans for that weekend. But if you've got that, there'll be a link in the, in the description of this this video. Um, absolutely go buy a ticket. Um, go, go to that event. He had one uh, the weekend of the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. And aside from a little bit of rain, uh, it was a fantastic event. I don't know what Starlight does to these um, finished barrels, but they're fantastic. I've got a few of them. I think I've got a Sauternes over here. Got this cognac, and they're just amazing. You know, and that's that's a feather in the cap for Indiana whiskey. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I had, so Indiana Bourbon on Instagram was running a Indiana Awards, and uh, Alan Bishop over at French Lick took I think Bourbon of the Year or something along that lines. I saw where the um, Lee Sinclair got that. Absolutely well deserved. It's a fantastic whiskey. Well, I think we'll get into the meat of tonight's episode. We're talking about small batch whiskeys and small batch bourbon specifically. Um, and it's you know we we talked about buzzwords a couple weeks ago in the wordplay episode and um, things that people get kind of axle wrapped on. And this is one that that whiskey nerds really 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 get uh, wrapped around. But there's enough content and context here that I figured we would at least have a half of episode. Uh, worth of it and the word small batch is on a lot of different whiskeys if you look at the um, the thumbnail image for this particular video those are all uh, small batch whiskeys that I own um, and you know they range from Four Roses to Evan Williams Peerless and you know it's this this term that the TTB or the Alcohol Tobacco and Tax tobacco, Alcohol Tobacco Tax Trade Bureau doesn't have a legal definition for it um, small batch generally is referring to a whiskey that is not vatted or a single barrel. And so vatted is, you know, like these, these huge amalgamations of, you know, several hundred barrels to be able to make things. Um, but, uh, how do you identify what is a small batch and what should be a small batch? Hey, Cheech, thanks for showing up. Um, I see you in the chat there. You must be doing some some dual dual duty there between me and ADHD. So just go watch him. It'll absolutely be better. I, I know that for sure. Um, no shame in that. So going back to it, um, small batch whiskey is going to be excluding single barrel. But if you really think about the definition of small batch, a single barrel is the smallest batch that there can be. Um, but it's it, it's 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 a um, non defined term, and that's what a lot of people get really really. Um, axle wrapped on like what does that mean you know why, why are they even using that and i think at least in modern whiskey terms it's more of a um, flavor profile it's a way that a brand is differentiation differentiating one particular offering from another this is considered to be a small batch version of their offering versus a single barrel versus their traditional offering um and depending on the size of the distillery can really you know change whether or not it is a huge batch or not, and like Peerless, I doubt that they have the ability to make a what would be considered a large batch by a lot. So everything they do by proxy is going to be a small batch. Um, but we're still absolutely talking about uh, blended whiskey. Like I said, it's to me, it's a it's a flavor profile for Four Roses. It's a flavor profile for Evan Williams. It's a flavor profile for um, for Michters. Even maybe maybe it's a flavor profile, and one that is that is I think. Gaining a little bit of notoriety for me is going to be people like um, Smoke Wagon and people like 
peerless absolutely and and some of your craft distilleries like i've got this um southern bourbon from a distillery in georgia and it absolutely is going to be small batch it's going to be made in georgia it's going to be i think it's actually aged in tennessee potentially um and they're the truest definition triple duty you're running triple duty tonight um they're the truest definition of what small batch is meant to be like i said it's just a flavor profile it's something that um they can build out um but by by the you know standard of being a small distillery that's what it is um but what happens you know, like should it be regulated is this a term that the ttb should take over and and start trying to regulate um, and you have to ask the question like what happens when you decide to put a size constraint or limit um does that change the outcome does that make it a better or a worse whiskey and I, and I can only think that trying to put it under a, a legal definition is going to hinder the ability of a distillery to be able to create a positive offering. Um, because at the end of the day, they're trying to reach a flavor profile. They're trying to reach something that is positive and beneficial to us as consumers. And if we say, oh, to be a small batch, you can only have 20 barrels, right? And if you blend 20 barrels and they're not there, you put the 21st barrel in and now it's no longer a small batch. Can't call it that, you know, because now there is notoriety in, in, in the naming of it, but it's one barrel over and it did hit the flavor profile that you're after. And so, you know, that that's one of the impacts that you can have. But then also like small is a relative term. It's it's not necessarily something that is um, quantifiable easily. So um, what makes it small? Is it 10 barrels? Is it 20 barrels? Is it 100 barrels? Um, you know, and if you are a significantly sized distiller, then it's going to be a large quantity of barrels. And if you're a small distiller, then it's going to be a small quantity of barrels. So, you know, then do you say, okay, well, we do make it a percentage, you know, percentage of an average batch. Well, now you're requiring distilleries to, number one, disclose what the size of a normal batch is and then be able to say, okay, percentage of that, that's what you get to small batch. Like it gets really conflated. And if you guys are anything like me, um, the more that you involve the government, the absolutely the better everything is always going to be. You know, it's it's going to, result in a much better, more positive outcome if they get involved for sure, right? So um we can we can just think like let's let's leave it alone. Let's let's let the distillers do what they're doing. And if we don't like it, we just don't buy it. It's it's pretty simple. But then then it begs the question like why do we even care? And you know, a lot of this comes out of the most whiskey consumers um trust in their brands is very low. Or at least your your I don't want to call, call elite, but your one or two percent of the whiskey consu consumption population is really in tune with what distillers are doing, what um, offerings they're going to have. They're you know we're we're looking at labels that are going to be offerings you know six months from now or a year from now or two years from now. We're not just walking in and looking at a wall of whiskey and saying, oh, I like the shape of that bottle and the label that's on it. I'm going to buy it. Or hey, this one has a horsey on the top of it. This is the thing that I want. We're looking farther down it, and so. We care because we feel like the term can be misleading to those consumers that come in. But if they're not actually being injured, you know, like that's one reason we can't care. But if they're not actually being injured, they're buying something, they're enjoying it, and they're moving on. Do they even notice or care about the small batch thing? Um, you know, I had an interesting interaction while I was at the Ragnar uh, Urban Relay uh, that was done between Bardstown, uh, Danville, and up into Lexington a couple weeks ago. Um, one of the runners in our group, you know, Wilderness Trail had opened up their distillery and they were selling single barrels out of it. And it was a single barrel specifically selected for this race. And his reaction was like, 
um, you know, we were, we were standing in there and we went inside to, to, to buy a bottle and they're like, Oh, we're all out. You know, all of them are out on the shelf. Well, one of the ladies like, Hey, there's one more sitting behind the counter. And so they pull it out and they throw the single barrel label on it and they sell it to us. And, and, and he's like, yeah, I bet this really is a single barrel. And he's really kind of skeptical about it because they had the label on hand. And I said, you know, like, there's, there's a legitimate regulation of what they're allowed to call that, right? That, that actually is the only barrel. And they probably did have one set back. Um, so it, it's a real thing, but that type of, of expectation amongst you know, whiskey connoisseurs is, is very, very true. Like people get really wrapped into like, Oh, they're trying to deceive us or, or you know, make things tougher for an average whiskey consumer to come in and, and, and buy the right thing or, you know, be, adequately educated as to what they're trying to purchase so you know like, that could be one reason why we care the other reason why we care is because we just have to know all the facts we have to know everything that every distiller is always doing and you know, i'm not on board with that so you know this this small batch term if if we as the whiskey nerds start backing up and saying hey this is just a flavor profile that they're particularly calling it just like they could um, use the term sour mash on the label. And that's another one that I do want to get into um, because I did a little bit of poking around on, you know, the difference between sour, ma sour mash and sweet mash and it, and it can't have an impact, but you know, like, what does it really mean? And why is it that way? When they throw it on the label, it, it talks about a process that they're doing, but at the end of the day, does it impact the average consumer? And so um, let's, let's back off the small batch thing. Like why, why do we care? We, we have to stop caring about those things unless they're actually trying to deceive us or they're trying to, um, say something that is untrue. Like, you know, sourcing like, Oh, I, I got this whiskey from another state, but I'm going to say that I distilled it myself. That's legitimately a lie. As far as labeling standards are going, um, labeling something as a small batch is just an opportunity for them to create a differentiated product on the market. So sour mash, that's another one. Like, like for us as the um, whiskey consumers, what does sour mash mean for us in the final flavor? Other than it, it is different, um, and it, to, to fully understand it, you have to go back and like, what does sour mash mean? And I think I've talked about it before, and I know a lot of other people have absolutely talked about what sour mash is. But sour mash is basically conditioning a new batch of fermentation with a little bit of leftover or spent mash from a previous distillation process. Uh, and a lot of our distillers uh, that will claim that they are doing sour mashing and putting it on their labels. Um, and, and realistically, most people probably are most major distillers are probably sour mashing and just not talking about it. But when you throw sour mash on there, it basically just means that you're leaving a little bit behind from a previous distillation and historically that was meant to bring the ph up you know controlling your ph has a lot to do with um, bacteria formation and whether you have what you want in there or what you don't want in there um, and if we go back to you know distilling in the woods or you know pre i don't want to say industrial revolution but pre-scientific revolution and understanding like what's like chemically actually happening here and they just found that if they left some behind um they came out with a better fermentation process. And not only that, you know, like the distillation process in that time was significantly less efficient. So there's probably still some alcohol left behind. And so re-fermenting and re-distilling is going to result in more, um, more pure grain alcohol coming out of the still uh, at a later fact. 
Um, and then, you know, there, there's the spent mash that can then be used, you know, some spent mash is used to, to feed animals. But the the reality is that, you know, in sour mash, it also provides a source, if I remember correctly, um, it provides a source of nitrogen to the fermentation process. The spent yeast husks uh, create nitrogen in there, then the, the following fermentation will feed off of that. And so you're just creating a, a more effective environment. And if you are talking, you know, 100 years ago where the basically they were putting things together and it was sort of like witchcraft, like, oh, what comes out of whatever comes out the other side of the um, fermentation process is just sheer witchcraft. You know, like, it's just something that they found over time that worked. But um, in modern distillation we have a far greater control over the chemical reaction that's actually happening in there and so what sour mash is likely doing is is a couple things now is number one you don't necessarily have to be as clean to be considered a sour mash and that doesn't mean that everybody's being dirty it just means that they're not required to completely clean out a still before they run the next distillation and if you're a huge uh, distiller that's doing a con you know continuous column distilling you effectively can't be sweet mash because you're just continually pumping it in and there may be some left over from the previous distillation. You know, like there's, there's a lot of things that happen there. Um, but the, there's also this benefit that whenever you feed that spent mash back into the current fermentation, you're recapturing some of the heat. And that's one of the big things is like you gotta, you know, if you think you're looking at a you know, 200 gallon still, let's just say 200 gallons, getting 200 gallons of liquid up to temp quickly is pretty difficult and it's going to be resource intensive. It's going to be energy intensive. It's going to take a while to get that to happen. But if you can take some of that spent mash that's coming out of distillation at, you know, over a hundred degrees and introducing it. So you're adding in warm liquid as well as external heat. You're able to bring it up to temp much, much faster and get it into the appropriate fermentation process and get it, uh, converting those, those, those sugars into alcohol. So there's, there's that benefit. But then you have this like, you know, these people that are really, really about sweet mash. Um, and they're starting to talk about that, you know, and, and this is one thing that I sort of came across is like, I have a, I have a bottle over here that is, you know, your Michter's sour mash. Michter's has a sour mash, but the Michter's also has a small batch. And, you know, my question becomes like, is Michter's small batch a sweet mash or is it just not advertising that it is sour mash or does it really even matter to us? Um, because at the end of the day, there's a slight difference in the taste. Is one better than the other for me? I'd, I'd say probably not. It's just a different method and a different way that they're doing things. And they're clearly identifying the process that occurs there, but they're purporting something like sour mashing to be um, something somewhat, I don't want to say revolutionary, but it's something worth noting. It is a notoriety. Like, oh, we have a sour mash whiskey. So does everybody else for the most part, because it's a byproduct of distilling at scale. Um, but sweet mash, on the other hand, I, I think that is a, a point that someone should really be making as a distiller that like we're sweet mashing, which means there's an incredible amount of cleanliness that goes from batch to batch to batch to batch. But it also indicates that you're likely going to have more variation from batch to batch as well, because you're now not using some of the same stuff over and over again. Um, you know, and I've always kind of, uh, when when craft beer took off, a lot of people really kind of um, poo-pooed on distillers like Anheuser-Busch or Coors because they're making craft beer. But uh, my dad got into making beer himself, and one of the things that he always fell back to is that if you can consistently make the exact same thing over and over again over thousands, if not tens or hundreds of thousands of gallons of beer, that's an incredible art form. 
and using something like sour mashing to be able to continue to produce, you know, Maker's Mark makes a consistently the same flavored product, but they're using, you know, everybody's using a 52 gallon barrel and they're blending them together to get to their final profile. Be able to do that consistently is a feat of kind of dialing everything in. But if you're running in a sweet mash environment, you're adding another barrier to be able to dial in to get consistently reproducible results because you're cleaning it out. And if you don't clean out exactly right, or you use something slightly different or you, you know, whatever it is that you do, you're introducing potential change to the final outcome of whatever it is that you're making. But it, it, it boils back to like this idea of, okay, this is a small batch is a useless term and sour mash is a useful term, but it doesn't, isn't necessarily useful to us as a consumer to understand anything other than the fermentation process. Not even, I guess maybe I keep saying distillation process, but it's the fermentation process. And what benefit is it to us? There's, you know, there's a, this wonderful article and I'm going to put a, it's a link in my um, video here that um, Alan Bishop did over on his alchemist cabinet WordPress site about sweet mash versus sour mash. It has a lot of really good information. Um, and, and he points out pretty clearly um, something that I, I agree wholeheartedly with is there's 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 this like historicity behind the use of sour mash that most modern distillers don't understand, and so they keep using the exact same term, but it doesn't necessarily carry the same weight or the same meaning. Um, hey, Cliff, thanks for showing up tonight, man. Oh man, that one went down the wrong way. It's fantastic. So, um, where was it? Yeah, so they're using the term without fully understanding using the term. Um, and it like the, the Sherry butts conversation we had a couple of weeks ago is that, you know, what Sherry butts used to be versus what we're using the term as now, they're both very, very different versions of, of what it is. But, um, you know, that, that sort of outlines it. Now I'm, I'm, I'm rolling towards the end of my night tonight. Uh, didn't have a whole lot planned. Just wanted to kind of, continue the ball rolling down and see if I can get, you know, 30 minutes in and, and talk about what's going on, what I'm thinking about. Um, I did get some bottles for my next themed episode that I plan on doing. I'm going to try to shoot for Wednesday. Um, it's going to be, uh, something I might consider like whiskey adjacent, tangential to whiskey. Um, there is one whiskey involved, but there's a couple of other things that are involved as well. Um, it's Halloween this weekend. I, I found this great article, uh, that was, pairings of candy and whiskey and thought about, you know, kind of following up on that uh, maybe next week and said, Oh, you know, I tried this because I think I had most of them, but we get to take the kids trick or treating and then have the, the parent tax where we take our portion of their loot for hauling them around. And then maybe we'll put some whiskey pairings together and see what that tastes like after the fact. Um, but like I said, go, going back to the, to the beginning of the episode, um, repeal day expo coming up in December, Absolutely buy tickets for that and go watch ADHD Whiskey or Hood Sommelier or Marion Eves. Um, those will be some fantastic events. By the VIP, you might get a chance to do a tasting with somebody. Um, Jack from Hood Sommelier has his Afrofusion event with Heaven Hill in Louisville um, in November, November the 12th specifically. There will be a link to that in my uh, video as well. Um, I think that's all I've got for tonight. So we're, we'll hit it with the rollout. And thank you guys for showing up tonight. Cheech and Cliff, the, happy to see you guys here tonight. Um, if you ever decide you want to join, absolutely let me know. And I will um, get you a link. We'll, we'll hop on StreamYard or you know, OBS Ninja or something. And you guys can 
and be a part of the conversation anytime you absolutely want to be. So thank you everybody for showing up tonight. If you did, and if you're watching this on the the rewatch, absolutely appreciate that. I think we're up to ten uh, subscribers, which is ten way more. Um, yeah. So hey, Cliff. Yeah, I, whiskey mutant. Yes, he is always pairing candy. I've been listening to. Uh, it's my bourbon podcast for a while and they've been doing their pairings. This one was actually an article where they just did six or seven uh, directly ones. And I, I, I trust uh, Whiskey Mutants pairings significantly. But this article, a lot of times it's one of those articles that you come across and you're like, okay, it's like the 10 best whiskeys. And it's, it's somebody like Up Rocks or somebody else. Um, uh, they're, they're rarely the actual 10 best whiskeys can, that you can get. But I want to see, like, I want to follow up on that. Because I know, like I said, Whiskey Mutants are solid and legit we'll see if these other ones actually are or not but like i said uh thanks thank you guys for showing up tonight we'll roll on over to um, the outro and see you guys next week thanks for listening to the embellished podcast if you like what you heard make sure to subscribe check out our website at embellishpod.com and follow us on social media at Instagram and Twitter to keep up with what we have going on. If you have an idea about a story we should talk about, send it to us at embellishpod at gmail.com. And remember, whether famous or infamous, a good story mixed with a touch of embellishment makes the food you ate, the drink you drank, and the places you visited just a little more memorable.